not Pastor Evans' word. I am who it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I can be who it says I can be. And I will have what it says I can have. Today, I will hear the word of God. I boldly declare that my mind is alert. My heart is receptive. My ears are open. And I better not go to sleep. I'll never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. And I pray today, Father, that everything that is said and done will not just bring you glory, but it will transform our very lives. And so I step back so the Spirit of God can use me to minister life to your people. I thank you that your word is quick and it's powerful. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. I thank you for downloading things I didn't think about. I thank you for imparting into your people uh, things that you want to say that have not been written. And most of all, I thank you for the Spirit of God who changes us into the image of Jesus Christ from glory to glory. So as we hear the word, I declare for signs, miracles, and wonders to follow our lives as a result of your word because you always watch over your word to perform it. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody say amen. Amen, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. So, we're in our fourth and our final lesson in our series called Growing in Faith. Look at your neighbor and ask him, have your faith been growing yet? If you're watching me online, the question is, has your faith been growing? What did you do with last week's message? One of the things that I did with last week's message is I took our financial confession that I use for the church and I sent it to our staff. And so now from this point on, our staff, when we open up staff meeting, we all read the confession together for the church. See, as you make progress in your faith, there are some changes you ought to make. Say amen to that. So we're in our fourth and final message in this series. And the goal of the series has been to help some discover their faith, help others strengthen their faith, and hopefully help us all better understand faith so we can utilize it. Now, if this is your first time hearing this message in this series, I want to encourage you to go back and watch the first, the last three messages, because I believe it will not only alter your life and your thinking, but I believe it'll alter it in a very positive way. So we've learned that God is not a respecter of persons, meaning that God is going to love us all. He's going to love us all. Whether you are a saint or an ain't, he is going to love you the same. But we've discovered that he is a respecter of faith. And what that means is God is going to move, watch this now, where he sees faith. And faith is that one thing that allows all of us as believers, watch this now, to do four things. To succeed in life, to reach new levels, to overcome major obstacles, and experience God's best if we use it. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do a brief review. Because sometimes you have to understand when you go to school, how many have been to school? Let me see your hand. All right. 
They don't normally just teach you one time. You come back and they teach you again. You come back and they teach you again. Then they do a quiz. Then you have a test to make sure you got it. Well, I don't know why we want church to be any different. If you want to learn and if you want to grow, there are some things that I just have to teach you. They didn't preach you your ABCs in school. I don't remember that. A, B, C, I said D, E, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, I, L, M, N. They didn't do that. They didn't do that. What did they do? They taught you your ABCs. Why? Because learning produces understanding. And understanding is the thing that needs to take place in your heart. So the word gets rooted. And once the word gets rooted, guess what's going to happen from your life? Fruit is going to occur. Say amen to that. So on last week, uh, the message title was Making Faith a Lifestyle. And that's really what faith is all about. And in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 38, we got that from this verse. It says, now the just shall live. Everybody say live. The just shall live how, church? Live by faith. But then he says, but if any man draws back, draws back from what? If any person draws back from living by faith, notice what God says. He says, my soul will not be pleased. Now, why would God say that? Well, it lines up for Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please God. So God needs our faith in order for us to please him. Everybody say, God needs my faith in order for me to please him. And so last week we said that we should make faith a lifestyle and not a life jacket. Amen. Our faith should not be used just for emergency purposes. I mean, if you need it for that, that's fine. But listen, when you live by faith, when faith is a lifestyle, then guess what will happen? You will, you will start experiencing life or what I call the more than abundant life on a consistent basis. Say amen. So John chapter 10, because Jesus said, the thief comes not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. Notice now what the purpose of the thief is. Steal, kill, and destroy. So when you see those things taking place in somebody else's life, when you see something like that taking place maybe in your life, don't blame God. It has nothing to do with him. I hear people say, oh, you know, uh, uh, I had a car wreck. I believe God's trying to tell me something. No, he's not. The devil's trying to kill you. I mean, we don't teach our kids like that. Be like, okay, that, that fire is hot. You know, you take him over to the stove. He's five years old. You want to make sure that he does not ever burn his hand. So you turn on the stove and say, son, the stove is hot. Let me see your hand. And you put his hand in the fire. You don't do that, right? So when you see something killing stealing or destroying it's the devil but jesus said i have come that you might have life and that they might have life more abundantly i love the amplified version it says this the thief comes only in order to steal and kill and destroy i came that they may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows amen i want to have life that way 
And so the major principle that we discussed on last week is for us to live by faith. The only way we're going to do that is that we have to have, watch this now, a spiritual perspective about faith. What does that mean? See, faith is on the spiritual side of things. And one of the things that I pointed out on last week is the spirit life or the spirit realm or the spirit world is just as real or more real than the physical world. And so 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13 was one of the verses we used. It says, we have in the same spirit of faith. Everybody say faith is, is in the spirit. Faith is in the spirit. And the only way we're going to live by faith is for us to understand that spiritual world. And because, listen, everything that we see was made from what we cannot see. Okay, John chapter 4, verse 24, it says God is a spirit. So, let me ask you a question. Can you see a spirit? No. Okay. So, how many believe that God made the world? The Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So, where did the heavens and the earth come from? Who created it? Okay. So, if God is a spirit and spirit is invisible, then watch this now. Something invisible made the visible. Which means that the only reason the visible exists is because the invisible exists. The invisible made the visible. And here's the problem with us. We only look at the visible not realizing that the invisible is more more real than the visible. Let me tell you a real, real quick story. I didn't say this in the New Testament. I mean in the first first service, right? Uh, so uh, this is years ago when I lived in Ohio. Uh, I don't know the name of the grocery store, but I went into this grocery store and I'm a, I'm a candy person. I still am and I will be until Jesus comes back. Right? So I like candy. So I'll never forget, I was walking around the store. And, you know, typically where they keep the candy is in the aisle right before you're checking out. They do that for two reasons. Number one, they want your kids to act up. That's, that's the first reason. Because they go act up right there. And because they don't, we don't want to deal with the act upness, we just let them pick something. That's the first reason. The second reason is it's convenient. So I'll never forget, I am... Uh, in front of this aisle, and the aisle was about from here to here, right? And this was the shelf with all the candy in it. So I'm standing there trying to figure out what I want to get. And I saw this guy walk into the grocery store. When he walked in, we, we caught eyes, and he looked at me like, who you think you are? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. Who you think you, you know? And I'm like, man, I don't even know this guy. So I'm like, you know, I ain't going to let the devil just bother me. I'm going to focus on my candy. So I don't know why this guy decides he wants to come and get in between me and the candy. (laughs) Now, you got to remember, God don't always speak first. I know people be like, God spoke to me first. No, he don't always do that because the first thought that came to my mind was hit him in the back of the head. I had a good shot at him too. But then after that thought came, then God said, rebuke that spirit in him. And I said, I rebuke that spirit in Jesus' name. You need to get up out of here. You'd have thought that his car was on fire. He like got out of there real fast. I'm like, why did he even come to the grocery store? Well, 
The invisible world is more real than the visible world. Hebrews 11.3 says, Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen, watch this church, were not made from things that do appear. And so this means that we can see with our eyes, watch this now, we can see whatever we see came from something we can't see. Everybody say, what I can see came from what I can't see. Second Corinthians chapter 4 verse 18 says, while we look not on the things that are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are not seen are eternal. So last week, if you go back and watch, I did a sheet and there's a sheet that we were holding up. One side of the sheet was, it represented the invisible and the other side of the sheet represented the visible. And the whole point of the exercise was to show us that when you and I get born again, God gives us the ability to see on both sides of the of the fence to see both realms to see the invisible and the visible that's what happens when we get born again he gives us that ability in other words our faith eyeglasses allows us to see what god sees in other words the spiritual side of things we view it through the lenses of scripture so today if you're taking notes our message title is faith to protect our hearts and purge our conscience you say, well, Pastor, what kind of, what kind of title is that? Here, here's, here's what I've discovered. I'm going to show you today that your heart is where faith works. But if my heart is messed up, whether it got messed up through me allowing somebody to mess it up or something happened in my life or we've given people wrong access to our hearts, uh, I'm going to show you that you and I are going to have to learn how to protect our heart. And then at the end, I'm going to show you because there's some things that have happened to us before we got born again. Some of us, when we were younger, things happened that wasn't, wasn't good. And so it's created traumatic situations for us. I'm going to show you, this, too, how to now get rid of that. Say amen. So uh, we're going to talk about protecting our hearts. And the goal of the message is to understand how important it is to protect our hearts. So we're going to learn some keys on how to protect our hearts. And then, uh, and when I say protect our hearts, I'm talking about from like unbelief, doubt, negative emotions, spiritual contaminants, things that uh, we may not be paying attention to that, uh, you know, that's happening. So like when COVID took place and, and people stopped driving, they said the air pollution got better. Why? Because we stopped adding contaminants to the air from driving. So, if you're taking notes, here's point number one that we want to talk about. We want to talk about the power of the heart. And I'm hoping that when I'm done with just this point, you will see the power that your heart has. Because some of you all are giving your heart to people you shouldn't. One of the reasons we need to protect our hearts is because our hearts are very powerful. Romans chapter 10 verse 9 shows us how powerful our heart is. He says, if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, watch this church, and believe where? In my heart. So what do we believe from? Believe from the heart. That God is raising from the dead, you shall be saved. Watch verse 10, it reaffirms verse 9. For with the heart, what does man do? Huh. For with the heart man believes. So the heart is powerful because it, it's where believing takes place. It is so powerful that you used it to believe your way into heaven. Do you know that you believe? Listen, you used your heart to believe your way into heaven. 
Mark chapter 9, verse 23. I love this verse. Jesus said unto him, if you can believe, stop. Who's talking here? Jesus. He says, if you can what? Believe. Where did we just learn believing takes place at? In the heart. So listen to what he says. Jesus said unto him, if you can believe, I'm going to add from your heart. Then watch this. Read it with me. All things are what? Possible to him that what? Believes from the heart. So watch this now. Our hearts house the potential of possibilities for our life. My potential does not come from my educational level. My potential or possibilities don't come from uh, what family I was raised from. It doesn't come from my level of education. It doesn't come from my job status. My possibilities in life, first of all, takes place of the condition of my heart. That's where I believe from. Say amen to that. So, what I want to do is show you the power that your heart has. Because some of you need to go back. And protect your heart from some people you gave it to. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't have gave your heart to that, that 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 lady, that lady, that lady. No, no, she was she was a gold digger. You didn't see it. Now, I know the lady's going ooh now, but we got men gold diggers too. Yeah, he waiting, girl. You got you a house, you got a car. He riding a bus. He riding a double Dutch bus. And he, just because he looked good, no, 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 no. Don't get, don't give him your heart. Everybody shouldn't have access to your heart. And that's the problem. Some of us have given our hearts to people we never should have gave it to. So watch this now. Mark chapter 11, verse 12. It says, and on the morrow, when they were come from Bethany, Jesus was hungry. He saw a fig tree having leaves. He came to it to see if there was anything on it. But he found nothing but leaves, for figs time was not yet. Verse 14. And Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of you hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. He said it out loud. Mark chapter 11, verse 19 now. And when evening was come, in other words, 24 hours, he went out of the city. And in the morning, 24 hours later, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree was dried up from the roots. Peter calling in remembrance and master, the fig tree which you curses withered away. Verse 22. And Jesus answered and said unto them, he said, have faith in God. There are some uh, references that says have the faith of God. Some references say have the God kind of faith. So then he says in verse 23, watch how powerful the heart is. He says, but verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say to the mountain, be removed. Now, see, some of us have grown up so much in tradition, we've allowed tradition, watch this, to define our faith walk. Now, I grew up Presbyterian, so it's a whole lot of stuff we didn't do. You know, like, we didn't even take our Bible when I was going, okay? It's maybe changed now, but when I was going, we didn't take our Bibles. We didn't even say amen. You know how y'all say amen? Like I say, say amen. We didn't do that. Only time we said amen was at the end of the song where it says, amen, that was it. Right? We were God's chosen frozen people. And see, then I got saved. I started visiting these different churches. And I started hearing stuff. I'm like, wow, is that in the Bible? So I never, I never forget I heard this song. It says, I'm going up 
on the rough side. How many know that song? Let me see. Of the mountain, and I'm doing my best. See, look at it. Y'all so traditional. Watch this. He, Jesus didn't even say nothing about climbing no mountain on the rough side. Jesus said, speak to the mountain. He didn't say climb the mountain. He says, speak. Here you are. You climbing. Our girl, how I go? I'm just climbing this mountain. He says, speak to the mountain. Tell it to be removed. Tell it to be cast into the sea. And watch this. Notice this now. He says, and shall not doubt where church, but shall believe. Don't doubt where, but shall what? Where do we learn believing takes place? Okay, so now we see that doubt takes place there too. So one of the things that we have to protect ourselves from is doubt. Because now believing takes place in the heart, but so does doubt too. So here's the question. What does that word doubt mean? Because in order to maintain my belief in what God says, we're going to have to protect ourselves against doubt. And most people are functioning in doubt and they don't know it. And they're wondering why God didn't answer this prayer. It's because they're full of doubt. Now you say, well, Pastor, what does the word doubt mean? The word doubt means to separate thoroughly. It means to withdraw from. It means to stagger. How many have been drunk before? Let me see your hand. Anybody? Anybody? Uh, now, oh my God. I saw three hands. Out of all the, how many have been drunk before? If you've been drunk before online, I want you to type in, I have been drunk before. So I'm going to ask again. Because see, I didn't ask you, did you get drunk last night? I didn't ask you that. I'm, let me ask again. How many have been drunk before? There we go. What do you do when you're drunk? You stagger. Go to the club, pay $25 for a shot. And you just drink enough of them till you know you get to, you know, get your groove on. That's what they call it. I don't know if it's called different, something different now, but you know, you know, I call it liquid courage. You didn't have no courage to get out there and dance before you got you some drink in, but girl, you got that drink going. You, you out there on the dance floor <laughs> doing the Carlton and all that kind of stuff. You got that courage from that liquor. Stagger. It also means to waver or to hesitate. So what I'm going to do here, I'm going to give you my definition of doubt. It lines up with the principles that I just gave you. But it also is, I'm going to point out that my definition lines up with a story that I'm going to tell you. So my definition of doubt, and then I'm going to talk about the process of how doubt comes about. So here it is. It's in your notes that I gave you. Doubt is a negative internal thought or conversation that is normally triggered by external situations. I'm going to say that again. Doubt is a negative internal thought or a negative conversation that we're having from within that is normally triggered by external situations. In other words, a lot of times doubt is triggered by something we're seeing outside of us. This happened in Matthew chapter 14 verse 25. It says this, And on the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. Verse 26. 
And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled. I would have been too. They said, it is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spoke to them saying, be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, okay, if that's you, allow me to come to you on the water. That was bold, wasn't it? Look in verse 29. And he said, read it with me. What did Jesus tell Peter to do? Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, read it with me, he walked on the water. What did Peter do? What did Peter do? As far as I know, and maybe, you know, there's some other stories that I may not be aware of, but as far as I know, there are only two people in the Bible that walked on water, and that was Jesus and Peter. So Peter comes down, he walks on the water to go to Jesus. Watch verse 30 though. But when he saw the wind, it was boisterous, he became what church? Afraid. And beginning to sink, he had not sunk. What did it say? He what? Beginning to sink, he cried, Lord, save me. Let me just throw this in because as I was listening to this this morning, I thought, wow, I wonder how many people don't ask for help till they done sunk. You know your rent was due or past due on the, on the second. It was, look, it's due on the first. It's past due on the second. Why is it day 28 and you just now asking for some help? See, Peter didn't wait to be all the way at the bottom of the Galilee Sea and be like, <laughs> Now, it says, and beginning to sink. Reach out before you sink. That was free. Here we go. And beginning to sink, he cried, Lord, save me. Verse 31. And immediately, Jesus stretched forth his hand, caught him. And then watch this. Here's what I want you to see. He says, oh, you of little faith. Read it with me. Where did you doubt? Wow. So what made Peter sink? Huh? Doubt did. So doubt is designed to separate us from believing God's promises for our life. Watch Romans chapter 4. Because see, some of you, the promises of God have not come to pass because you're full of doubt. Look, you're not married because you're full of doubt. How many singles in the house? Let me see your hand. Single, 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 single. Yeah, you're full of doubt. I don't want to be married. Okay, that's fine. We just subtract one from, from the room. Pastor, I, 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 no, 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 no. If you've been single at least five to ten years and you want to get married, you are full of doubt. You say, that's kind of bold. And maybe it ain't time for me to get married. Maybe God don't want me married. Then why you want to be married if God don't want you to get married? See, don't mess with me this morning. That's like people who, uh, who don't believe in healing. I don't believe God. I don't believe in healing. Then why are you taking medicine, fool? <laughs> Stay sick. If you don't believe in healing, don't take no medicine. Full of doubt. 
Romans 4 19. It says, and be not weak in faith. Abraham considered not his own body now dead when he was a hundred years old. Neither yet the deadness of Sarah's room. This is serious because there wasn't no Viagra back then. It had not been invented. And then it says, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's room. There was no egg freezing back in those days. So watch verse 20. He, Abraham, staggered not. That word staggered is the same Greek word for the word doubt in Mark chapter 11. In other words, Abraham did not allow himself to be separated thoroughly or withdrawn or staggered or wavered or hesitated at the promises of God. Well, what was he did? He didn't stagger not at the promise of God through unbelief, but he was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. In other words, listen, the purpose of doubt is to separate us from the promises of God and cause us eventually to function in unbelief. James chapter 1 verse 5. I'm just talking, showing you the power of your heart. It says, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God that gives to all men freely or liberally and upbraided not and it shall be given. Watch verse 6. But let him, let that person, whatever you're asking God for, he says, you need to do that in faith. And when you do that, he says, you cannot waver. The word waver is the same word doubt in Mark chapter 11. He said, when you ask God for something, you cannot waver. You cannot doubt. You cannot separate your yourself for what the promise said he would do he says because if you do he that wavers is like the wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed and he says listen if you're going to waver when you ask God for something and you're doubting and wavering if God's going to do it he says let not that man think he shall receive anything from the Lord oh so 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 there are some things you ain't got because you doubting He says a double-minded man is unstable. And that's what doubt does. Doubt, because see, there's a difference between doubting in your head and doubting in your heart. Once we get a double mind about something, then it'll, it, it, a double mind makes us try to discern which one we ought to pick. So doubt, listen, can disqualify us from receiving what we're believing for and asking for if it's not dealt with. Say amen to that. And so, we'll talk about the power of the heart. Can you see how, how powerful the heart is? It, 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 it positions us to believe. And Jesus said, all things are possible to him that believe. So listen, the heart has power. That's why you can't give it to everybody. So let's look at now point number two. Point number two is protecting the heart. Now this is what I want to talk about is how to protect your heart. You need to protect your heart. You need to put an alarm system around your heart. Proverbs chapter 4 verse 23 says this. It says, keep your heart with all diligence. Why? Because out of your heart are the issues of life. The word keep there, it means three things. It means to guard, to protect, and to maintain. So what he's saying in that verse is he needs us to guard, maintain, and protect our heart with diligence. Why? Because life is what's coming out of our heart. Luke chapter 6 verse 40, uh, 45, Jesus said, and this is the description of a heart. He says a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. So when good things are taking place in our life, it's because we got some good things going on in our heart. But then he goes on to say, an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth that which is evil. In other words, when you and I do evil, it's because we got some evil working on the inside. 
I didn't mean to cuss them out. Yeah, you did. It was on the inside. You ever cuss somebody out accidentally? No? How many cuss? Let me just see your hand. No. No, okay, okay. Now, this may not be politically correct, okay? So I'm about to say something that's not politically correct. But I used to cuss so bad, I had to figure out a way to stop. So the Lord gave me a strategy, and then I came up with a strategy on my own. The Lord's strategy was, Evan, just listen to people who cuss. They, they sound so deficient in their English vernacular. I'm like, let me look that up. What that mean, Lord? <laughs> but then I came up with my own method to stop cussing. Okay? Again, this is not politically correct. So I came up with replacement cuss words. So uh, I would say stuff like, uh, let me help somebody in the room. I don't give a fam. Fam. Yeah. See, it was a replacement for the D word. So I would, I had all my little replacements of cuss words. And so I started using them instead of cussing somebody out. And then eventually I got used to not cussing. And so I've been cuss free for, what, 30 years? Give me a hand clap for being an overcoming addict. <laughs> Watch this now. So how do we protect our heart? It's three ways. Here's number one. I'm going to hurry up here. We, we protect or we guard our hearts by what we say. We have to guard what we say. Proverbs chapter 4 verse 23. We read this verse, but I'm going to show you something about this verse. Because when you're reading the Bible, don't just read the verse. Sometimes you have to keep reading to get the context of what was said. So the way we protect our heart is we got to guard what we say. Watch what he says. Keep your heart. Guard your heart. Protect your heart. Maintain your heart with all diligence. Why? For out of it are the issues of life. Look at the next verse. Put away from you a negative or forward mouth and perverse lips put far from you. One of the ways to protect your heart is you got to protect what you're saying. Watch Luke chapter 4 verse 45. We use this verse too. I just didn't finish reading it. It says a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth that which is good. An evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth that which is evil. For of the abundance of the heart is your mouth is speaking. Your mouth is what protects your heart from evil. Romans 10 9. If you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. Watch this. And believe in your heart. So what I say, I believe. So I have to now control what I say because what I say controls what I believe. And where I believe, I believe from the what? Okay, so one of the ways to protect your heart is that you got to guard what you're saying. First Peter chapter 3, here's the last one. For he that will love life. Now remember now, Proverbs told us, Keep your heart with all diligence. Why? Because out of it flows the issues of life. So First Peter is telling us, he says, if you want to see, if you want to love life, how many want to love life? He says, if you want to love life and if you want to see some good days, 
Watch what he tells us to do. He says, let him reframe his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no deceit. He says, if you want to see, if you want to have a good life, if you want to love life, if you want to see some good days, he says, stop saying that negative stuff. Say amen to that. So in order for us to protect our hearts, we must guard what we say. Here's number two. In order for us to protect our hearts, we must now guard what's being deposited in our hearts. Because you may not realize this, deposits are being made on a regular basis in your heart. And if deposits are being made, I might as well be the one to control what's being deposited. So in order to guard my heart, we must make regular deposits of the word in it. See, if you go to the bank, how many got a bank account? You got a bank account. You go to the bank, you ever tried to deposit some Monopoly money? You go up there and say, hey, 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 I, I, look, I beat everybody in the last game. I got all these houses. I'm rich. All of them are bankrupt. I want to deposit this million in, in Monopoly money. You know what they're going to look at? They're going to be like, somebody call security and the crazy house. They need them both. No, you can't deposit fake money. Why? Because you can only deposit real money. Well, you and I, we need to watch what's being deposited in our heart. So watch this now. The thing about depositing the word is that regular deposits of the word, it might not eliminate sin in our lives, but it will definitely help to protect our hearts and minimize sin for our life. See, if you are a believer, your sin count ought to be going down. Everybody say amen, so I won't know who I'm talking to. Yeah, sin count ought to be going down. Watch Psalm 119 verse, verse 11. I'm talking about now, if I'm going to protect my heart, I have to make deposits of the word. He says, thy word have I hid in my heart. He didn't say that I won't sin against you. He said that I might not. Psalm 37, 30. The mouth of the righteous speak wisdom and the tongue talks of judgment. Watch verse 31. The law of his God or the word of his God is where? In his heart. And none of his steps shall slide. If you want to decrease the number of mistakes you make it in your life, listen, don't do something outside of the word. Hiding God's word in our heart helps us to do his will. Because see, when I first got became a believer, I didn't want to, some of this stuff, I, you know, I, I didn't, I, me and God, we wasn't on the same page. We just weren't there. You know, because when I got saved, I wanted everybody to know about it. So I'm telling everybody about Jesus. I would even go to a Baptist church and, and testify. They said, oh, this is testify, testifying Sunday. You know, and I didn't know what that was because, you know, Presbyterian, uh, we didn't testify. We shared. It was different. What did we share? We shared about, hey, like my parents would say, Evan's here in town from college this weekend. Sharing. Baptist church, you're going to have to testify what Jesus has done for you. So I'd go to these Baptist churches and I'd testify. And then people start saying, oh, you're going to be a preacher. I'm like, the devil is alive. So I was not on the same page with the Lord. So I started just putting this word inside of me. And, and, and let me just say, tell you something about hiding the word in your heart. Eventually, it'll make you want to do what God wants you to do. Watch this. Psalm chapter 40, verse 8. He says, I delight to do your will, oh my God. I, 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 I want to do your will, oh God. Why? Because your word, your law is in my heart. 
The Living Bible says, and I delight to do your will, my God, for your law is written upon my heart. The New Living Translation says, I take joy in doing your will. What? I take joy in it? How? I take joy in doing your will, my God, for your instructions are written on my heart. The TV version says, how I love to do your will, my God. I keep your teachings in my heart. What am I trying to get you to see? I'm trying to get you to see that when you make regular deposits of the word on the inside, the word on the inside of you will make you want to obey God. This is why I tell people, come to church no matter what's going on in your life. If you shack and come to church. If you was at the club last night, I don't care where your club clothes, come on to church. Because there's something about sitting in an environment where faith is being preached that it strengthens you. And even though you may walk out and smoke a doobie on the way home, you encouraged. Now y'all don't understand. See, I used to come to church high. Not as a pastor. <laughs> I can see that on social media going viral. Pastor Evan smokes weed before he gets to church. No, no, no. Before I was saved. Before I was saved. You know, because Presbyterian church was boring. We didn't laugh or nothing. I mean, it was like, oh my God, it was torture. And so I needed some entertainment in church. So I would get half or I got that. Of course, I would smoke with the windows down. So, you know, all the smoke wouldn't be in the car. Then when I got out, you know, I spray some cologne on. Which does not work. I just want you to know that. It does not work. You may think it's working. It's not working. You smell like polo, cologne, and weed. Come to church. So you're going to guard your heart by what you say. You're going to guard what's being deposited. Here's number three. You're going to guard what you think. Proverbs 23, 6 says, Eat thou not the bread of him that has an evil eye, neither desire his dainty meats. Watch this, verse 7. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Matthew 9, 3, Jesus said, Behold, a certain of the scribes said within themselves, This man is blaspheming. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Wherefore think you evil in your heart? See, we have to control our thinking. Because how you and I think impact how we believe. So now, here's the question, because I started asking myself the question. How do we purge ourselves from situations? Because here's the thing, the reality of this is, how do I purge my mind and my conscience from things that have happened to me, what I call before Jesus Christ? In other words, before Jesus, somebody raped, molested somebody uh let's say i I never forget you know even during jesus i used to own a barber and beauty salon and one of uh, this lady who i hired as a nail technician she uh uh she was just she was jesse y'all know who jesse is that's short for jesse bell so me and this lady you know for but i didn't know she was gonna be jesse because, you know, she could do nails and stuff good. So, she, you know, so I had the barbershop and the beauty shop separated. Okay, it was like 
big building, but I had a wall down the middle and I had glass so you could see on the other side. And the reason I did that is because there are times when single mothers would bring their sons to get their hair cuts. And so they were in the chair getting their hair done and they could see over there to make sure Junior was obeying. So I had that going on, you know, in that dynamic. But anyway, this nail technician, you know, she just... She she didn't like my rules because she wanted to go over and flirt with the men on the other side. That's not, the rule was no, no men over here, no ladies over here unless your son is getting a haircut. She just wanted to act like she just didn't care. Said, no, no, that's not how it works. So anyway, she lied on me one day. She said, "Ah, oh, he uh uh, what do you call it? Uh, assaulted me, right? It's bad daylight." She said, I'm going to call the police. I said, what? Call the police. You're not using my phone, no. <laughs> Go next door to the gas station. She called the police. Long story short, she just lied. And the bad part about the lie is this. My partner, who was my business partner, right, he was there that day. She said I pushed her into the dryer. And I, I mean, I just lying, right? So then my, my business partner was there and other people. So I was like, you know what? We're just going to go to court and I'm going to get my business partner. And it, she ain't going to bring no witness because she's lying. We get to court. First of all, my, 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 my business partner was giving me a hard time in coming. I'm like, what's his problem? Why is he not wanting to come? So he finally said, yes, we get to court. He's the first one on the witness stand. They say, please state your name. Your full name. Soon as he said his name, they went over and handcuffed him and took him to jail. I was like, what the heck is going on? Am I going to jail too? They took him to jail. They didn't even give a reason. I'm confused right now. Now my witness is not credible. And then I had Judge Judy who didn't want to hear my story because my witness has gone to jail. That lady didn't have no proof. She lied. Guess what? Guilty! I ended up paying a fine. I was so mad at the Lord that day. Right? That happened to me. What happened to me was not true. So I had an opportunity to let that experience stay lodged in my heart and be mad at God. Because see, some of y'all in this room and who's watching me, you mad at God, but you're mad at God at the wrong reason because he's not the person you ought to be mad at. God didn't make that judge give that, 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 that decree on me. So I'm riding down the highway and I'm like, Lord, why you let them do that? Why did you, you knew that wasn't true and you know that's wrong and how you going to get that judge to judge in her favor knowing she lying? I mean, I'm going through the whole thing and I'm going off on the Lord. And he just let you, let me go off. And then he said, Evan, Did what they did to Jesus when they crucified him, did he do anything wrong? They said did he they said he's lying. Did he lie? No. 
So here's a question. How do we purge ourselves from some of these things? Because some of us have had some real issues. So let's close with this, okay? Because the reality of the situation is many people's hearts are stuck in negative situations in life. And I'm not minimizing the reality of trauma. I'm not minimizing the reality of traumatic events. But let me just say this. Just like trauma is real, healing and deliverance is real too. Amen. Because see, so many believers have become victims. And then they get around people and they get on social media. And listen, they, they would rather share their truth than to declare the truth. See, the more you share your truth and not declare his truth, whatever you repeat is what you believe. And that's why you're stuck in victimization. Say amen to that. You will never get healed of what you're unwilling to let go of. So let's, let's close with this. Y'all give me five more minutes. Can I have five more minutes? Yes, I'm going to take it anyway. So uh, Hebrews chapter 9, I'm just saying. Hebrews 9, I want to show you something. Now, if you don't get nothing else, I'm about to show you how to... Get rid of long-term pain. How many has had something to happen to you and it was not good? And it hurt you? And see, some people still in that hurt. They're still in there. Well, I'm going to show you that there is a way to get rid of that, that hurt. So uh, I want this middle camera to zoom in on my wrist right here. Let's see. Uh, okay, all right. Can y'all see it? Look on the side screens. Can y'all see, can y'all see that scar right there? Y'all see that? Okay, now, when that happened to me, it hurt real bad. This was really like a third-degree burn. My parents should have took me to the hospital, but they didn't. <laughs> so I am going to tell you exactly how I got this. My mom had cooked some Jiffy cornbread, and it was in the oven, and I was going back for seconds. I opened up the oven. I pulled a pan, and I decided to just take a slice of it out. Instead of pulling the whole pan out, I decided to just... And what happened is I raised my wrist too high, and that you know that bar that turns orange when it's hot? Oh, oh, it got me. It got me. It got me. Watch this. Watch this. For weeks, I had to hold my hand up because when I hold my hand down, the blood would flow to, the, to this thing, and it would hurt. So I had to, you know, I had to... To, to, to get healed but watch this I'm going to show you how the pain that you have from those situations that happened a long time ago that you still have pain from see I can tell you exactly what happened because I just did but it don't hurt no more when I tell you because I was not just healed on the outside I was healed on the inside so watch what, watch what scripture says it says Hebrews 9.13. For if the blood of bulls and the blood of goats and the ashes of a heifer. Look at your neighbor and say, oh, you a heifer. Go on and ask him. You a heifer. Heifer. It's a scriptural word. You can call your co-worker a heifer now. Don't do that. He says, but if the blood of bulls and the blood from goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean. If, watch this now, if it was able to purify the flesh, he's saying, how much more shall the blood of Jesus Christ, who through the eternal spirit, he offered himself without spot to God, how much more can that blood, watch this church, 
purge your conscience, your mind, your heart from dead works to serve in the living God. He said, listen, if the blood of animals back in the Old Testament, if that blood was able to purge, listen, people in the flesh, how much more can the blood of Jesus purge your conscience? Watch now what the message says. If that animal blood and the other rituals of purification were effective in cleaning up certain matters of our religion and behavior, think how much more the blood of Christ cleans up our whole lives. Watch this church inside and out. So in order to clean our hearts from previous things and our minds from previous things, we must apply the blood. And that's why Revelation chapter 12, verse 10 says, And we overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. So now you're going to have to use the blood to purge. That's what you're going to have to do. Whatever that situation was. So I'll tell you a quick story here. My pastor, years ago when he started his church, real little church, uh, sort of started growing and... uh, what happened was the deacons at that church got upset with him because they didn't like him going out and evangelizing, bringing poor people into church because, you know, the church was full of, like, school teachers and doctors and people like that. So those people didn't want these, you know, ghetto kids mixing with their kids. So the deacons came to him one day and said, hey, uh, preacher, you can make a very good living here, but we need you to stop bringing those kids around here. And he said, well, Deke, you know, you didn't call me to preach, so you can't tell me what to preach. And he said, this is what they said to him. They said, we know how to fight preachers here. So long story short, they put a restraining order on him on a Sunday morning when they knew that he was going to show up at the church to preach. It was illegal. Somebody that was an attorney had friends with a judge. The judge gave the restraining order. And so guess what happened? They, the restraining order was in place. He shows up for church. They arrest him. He goes to jail. From being in the Lord's church. He never been in, in jail in his life. Here it is. He's in jail. While he's in there, he starts getting mad at all the people that got him in there. He starts hating them. God gets him out of jail. He bails out. He goes to court. And he's now, look, he hates the people. And he hates the people's kids. He wants the kids to die. Oh, his heart was messed up. So he goes to court. And the judge rules in the behalf of the pastor. Because that day, they said he wasn't supposed to be there. His name was on the program to preach. His name was on the bus that brought the people there. His name was on the sign on the outside. And so, look, he won the court case. So he goes in the next Sunday, and the title of his message was, You Have Met Your Match. <laughs> and I mean, he just fleshed, fleshed out that day. He was just firing people on the spot. Deacon, sit down. You're not a deacon no more. I mean, he's just going off. Right. He's just putting everybody in their place. And he go to his office. He feeling good like George Jefferson, you know. He go to his office and he sits down and the Lord said, now what was that? He says, you can't treat my people like that. Because number one, they're not your people, they're my people. He says, second of all, those people, my son died for them. And he says, number three, you're fired. Pack your stuff and leave and don't come back to this church. God fired him. So now he's mad. He's fuming. He hates all the people. He wants them to die. He wants their children to die. He wants their grandchildren to die. And so one day he's praying. The Lord says, hey, son, I can't use you with your heart like that. He says, you're going to have to straighten up. And so this verse, purging your conscience. So this is what God taught him that I'm telling you. 
He says, I need you to apply the blood of Jesus to that situation. And so now, instead of remembering what they did to you, you say, Father, thank you for purging my heart and my conscience and my mind from that situation. And I decree today that the blood of Jesus is cleansing my mind and cleansing my heart from the memory of that, the pain of that. And I declare in Jesus' name that if you're for me, who can be against me? Now, it don't mean that what you you remember is going to go away because I remember that I got burned. But the pain from the memory is gone. And there are some of you in this room and who's watching me. There are some painful situations you've gone through. So with every head bowed, And every eye closed. I want to walk you through a confession. And from this day on, you need to use the blood of Jesus and the word of God's testimony from his word to purge your conscience. So I want you to repeat after me. Say, Father, I declare today that whom the Son sets free is free indeed. So today, I declare my freedom over pain, over trauma, over hurt, over rape, over molestation, over being taken advantage of, over being wrongly convicted, over being treated unfairly, over being fired unnecessarily, over miscarriages I've had, over financial problems that I've had, over wrongful judgments that I've had, over regrets from poor decisions. And I declare today that the blood of Jesus is cleansing my conscience from all of those dead works so I can serve you. Lord Jesus, thank you for your blood. Use it now to cleanse my heart, cleanse my mind, Cleanse my soul. Cleanse my spirit. And today, I declare that I'm healed. I'm symptom free. I'm delivered. I'm whole. I'm full of faith. I'm a victor, not a victim. I'm an overcomer in Jesus' name. And greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap right there where you are. Thank you for being patient. So with every head bowed, maybe you're watching me, maybe you're in the room. Here's my question. If you die today, are you sure you go to heaven? Because if you're not sure, I want to pray for you.